Here's a preview from this episode. You know, that's uh, what I call the baseball crowd complex. You go to a baseball game and everybody's booing the umpire. Boo, boo, 30,000 people booing. And you're sitting there going, what's the problem? Why is everybody you know, booing? Of course, they want you to boo with them because it's the crowd complex. It's very difficult when someone is experiencing resentment, anger, or frustration, annoyance, or any negative emotion. It's very difficult for them to hear from you that you're not experiencing that. Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com, and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that, if you do daily, are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love, joy, peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. Friends, today we have with us Neil Donald Walsh, who I began reading his books right out of college in 2004, uh, Conversations with God. And I remember reading them with a friend and they were just so impactful and life-changing. Neil, thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your time with the audience. Well, you're welcome. It's lovely to be here with you. Thanks for the opportunity. How may I serve you? Um, I want to take the audience today to a place that you often take people within your books, which is realizing that we are not just the droplet in the ocean that is God, but that we're one with God universe source and we're one with all that is and really empower people today to realize that it's their ability to create within their own lives and that when you step into that creation it's just a, a such a different experience of life so my first question for you is you talk a lot about this within your books that people deny themselves the reasoning or the thought that we are God universe source. It's easier maybe for us to come into it like we're one with all that is. But on some level, if we're one with all that is, we are all that is. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Is that your question? You get a one sentence, you get a one word answer if that's your question. <laughs> because you've said, it, you've, you've said it perfectly. Oh, thank you. Why is it so hard for us? Because I feel this within myself. I was raised in a very religious family, Catholic when we lived with my dad and then Christian when we, uh, my parents divorced. Why is it so hard for us within ourselves to just accept that we're one with all that is? I think because uh, 
our cultural story. That is the story that human beings of every culture, of every religion, doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, or, or it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, but you can, you know, it doesn't matter what, what your background is. Most of us have received our information from the larger cultural story, which is a story of separation. The story is that we are separate from each other, from everything else that exists in the universe. I mean, I'm over here and you're over there. So, and I think that the reason that people, and of course, we're separate from God, there's no question about that, that God is over there and we're over here. So we've been, some religions actually teach us that not only that we're separate from God, but that to say that we're not separate from God is actually blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Some religions teach that it's heresy to say that, and you can be brought up on ecclesiastical charges if you say that God and I are the same essential essence. But the main reason that people hang on to the story of separation as tenaciously as they do, at least from my observation, is that people tend to confuse separation with identicality. That is, they, they think that if we're not separate, then we must all be identical, that we can't have any differences. And we can see the differences between us. So if there are differences between us, or as the French say, vive la différence. But if there are differences between us, then how can we be one? The average person doesn't think really much more deeply than that. And they think that since the differences between us are patently obvious, we must not be all one because our differences belie our oneness and suggest that we are separate entities, living separate individual lives, having separate individual experiences. What I do to help people maybe get a little closer to what is meant by the idea of oneness is I hold up my hand and I say, you see here there are five fingers on my hand and they are all different. They all look different. They all act differently. They have different functions, but they're not separate. They're simply individual, but they're all part of the same hand. And they're all part of the same body for that matter. So could you imagine that we might all be, if I could use the metaphor, fingers on the hands of God. And suddenly some people can see that metaphor. Say, so, okay, so it is possible to be different from each other, to be individualized without being separated. I found that to be a very useful illustration of what is meant by we are all one. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about in your third book, Conversations with God, is how we often think about our soul being inside our body, but that if we really change that thought and think of our body as being within our soul, that's a very vibration raising thought because when you feel it that other way, your way, you really tune into, I think your auric field in a different way. You tune into that God vibration and instead of going within, you kind of release your energy outward. Talk about this a little bit more. Well, you've, said it, you've said it perfectly. You have this, you have this interesting uh, way of interviewing me. You say <laughs> everything that I would say, and then you ask me to say it again. <laughs> I would have said exactly the same thing. Yeah. 
most sorry. People, most people have <laughs> no, no. You don't have to apologize. I just, I just find it fascinating that you that you said it exactly the way I would say it. Most people, have, I, I will say this: most people have imagined that if we have a soul at all. And by the way, not everyone even thinks in those terms. But for those people who do think that we have a soul, they do think that the soul is, as you've said, embedded, so so to speak, in our body. But I was told in my conversations with God that it is, in fact, just the reverse, that we are. I am not my body and I am not my mind, that my body and my mind are simply tools. I might say pieces of equipment, equipment that is being used by who I really am, which is a soul. And I'm carrying around this equipment, this body and this mind, in order to use that equipment in the creation of the experience of who I really am. That I've come to the physical realm in order to express and to demonstrate, thus to experience, who I really am. Because in the spiritual realm, it's possible for me to know who I really am, that I am love and compassion and understanding and generosity and all, all the wonderful things that God has created us as being, but that I can't experience that for a very interesting reason. In the realm of the spiritual, there is nothing but that. In, in the realm of the spiritual that some people call heaven or paradise or nirvana or whatever word you want to use, we do not encounter anything other than pure love because that's what paradise, that's what heaven is. So, but uh, God created, a, I want to say, three realms uh, in the kingdom of God, the realm of uh, the spirit, which we call heaven, the realm of the physical, which we call right now living on earth, or somewhere else in the cosmos, perhaps, and the realm of pure being, which is both the first two realms combined into a third expression, which is where we expect that which we call God to exist, the realm of pure being. So we have come into the realm of the physical because in the realm of the physical, that which is not who we are, that which is not perhaps not generous or compassionate or not forgiving or not kind or not loving exists. And uh, it's important for those aspects of life to exist. We don't need to embrace those aspects, but if they did not exist, we could not know who we really are. I mean, we well, I should rephrase that. We could know who we are, but we couldn't experience who we are. Yeah. We, we wouldn't have the ability to experience what it's like to express who we really are. And the soul yearns not to simply know itself, but to experience itself, to express itself. Let me give you a simple example, if I could. When I was a young boy, 14 or 13 or 14, my older brother, who was in the Air Force, came back out of furlough. He had his Air Force uniform on, and he looked like Clark Gable. He looked, he looked like a movie star. He was, you know, and I really just admired my older brother, who has since returned home to the realm of the spiritual. But in those days, he was my hero. And I said to my mom when he left, I was, I want to, I want to be like my brother Wayne. And he's Wayne was six feet tall. I said, I want to be six feet tall, just like he is. And my mom couldn't resist the opportunity to say, well, then you have to eat your spinach. Any chance to get me to eat vegetables? <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, uh, but here's the deal. Here's why I brought it up. I thought to myself, 
later on in my conversations with God, God said to me, what if everything in the world was six feet tall? What if all the trees were exactly six feet tall? All the grass was exactly six feet tall? All the buildings were precisely six feet tall? What if every other human being was exactly six feet tall? What if there was not anything that was not six feet tall? What if everything was six feet tall? How would you know in your experience that you're six feet tall? You could know it conceptually. You could say, well, I'm six feet tall, but you couldn't experience what it's like to be six feet tall because there's nothing else that's not. Therefore, you would deliberately place yourself in an environment where something, anything, one other thing was less than six feet tall. So you could say, ah, now I see the difference. Now I can experience who I really am. A better metaphor to use for this is the light. God said to me, imagine yourself speaking metaphorically as the light. If you want to express yourself as the light, what would you need? And of course, the answer is the darkness. And God said to me, I see you understand everything. Now you know why you're where you are in the realm of the physical. Because in the realm of the physical, there is what you would call the darkness. Therefore, raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness, that you might know who you really are, and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. You know, that's nothing more than the golden rule. We had a guy walking around here on this planet around 2,000 or so years ago who put it very simply. He simply said, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Did you know I give away a new free reading each month to a listener who leaves a five-star rating of this show on Apple Podcasts or Amazon? After you leave five stars, go over to the Contact Me page on my website, theangelmedium.com. Fill out the Contact Me form, letting us know that you gave five stars. That way, we can contact you when you win. The more five stars you leave, the more chances you have to win. And your name always stays in until you do. Don't forget to stay subscribed to our emails so that you know when you've won your free session with me. Sending you so much love and gratitude for your support on this. Thank you. Now let's dive back into the show. I think that you've talked about this like on social media before, but you use the same for emotions too. When we hate or we are thinking things of hate or saying things of hate or taking action from a place of hatred, we see the love of who we are once we come to realize how we are not hate and we take back you know, maybe those actions or those words or those things that we have thought in the absence. What is it that you say? In the absence of which of you, are you are not, not you what are. you are is not. In the absence of what you are not, what you are is not. That is, it's not experienceable. Yeah. So you must place what you are not in the space of your perception. Yeah. So give and, us an example of that with emotion that, or like a, a way that a person would experience that or wake up to that. 
through. Well, we don't have to. We don't have to think very far to get an example. Just look at the world around us. All you do have to do is talk to five or six people in in one single day. Somebody is going to express an aspect emotionally of we are not. Maybe they're angry. Maybe they're resentful. Maybe they're frustrated. Maybe they're simply exhausted. You know, maybe they're furious about something. Whatever it is, or maybe they're deeply worried about something. But whatever it is, they could be expressing an emotion that we are not. And so the challenge when we experience someone else expressing such an emotion is for us not to adopt it, not to fall into it, because we feel that in in order for the other person to feel agreed with, we have to join them in their emotion. That's uh, what I call the baseball crowd complex. You go to a baseball game and everybody's booing the umpire. Boo, boo, 30,000 people booing. And you're sitting there going, what's the problem? Why is everybody you know, booing? And of course, they want you to boo with them because it's the crowd complex. Yeah. What I call the baseball crowd reaction. So we're all supposed to act the way the other person is acting in order for them not to feel alone in their emotional experience. It's very difficult when someone is experiencing resentment, anger, or frustration, annoyance, or any negative emotion. It's very difficult for them to hear from you that you're not experiencing that. You know, you're really, I'm really sorry that they are. If you say to them, I'm really sorry you're feeling that way, they often might not feel good to hear you even say that. They say, you know, well, what are you above it all? You mean you don't? And I, I said, wow, wow. How did we get into a disagreement? Just because I told you how sorry I am that you're feeling that way. Mm-hmm. So I have learned that the best thing to say when someone is sharing their negative emotions with me is not, I'm sorry you feel that way, but because some people, as I said, could think that I'm imagining myself to be superior to them. So what I do say is, I can understand how you would feel that way. Now, if they feel understood, now they don't have to necessarily feel that you agree with them but you understand how they could feel that way. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they don't feel criticized or subordinated or you know minimized, minimized in any way. So that's a powerful statement to make. I can understand how you could feel that way, boy. And sometimes I even add, I've been there too in my life. Yeah. I've had the same feelings. So I surely do understand how you could feel that way. Now the other person can feel joined without feeling duplicated. That's beautiful. I want to talk about how you say in your books, when you're talking about God, universe, source, your will is my will. That's because there's only one of us. So often I see people around me who think, I don't really want to know what my purpose is because what if my purpose isn't what God's purpose is for me? And it's like, no, they're one and the same. Let's stop right there. God does not have a purpose for you. Mm, not okay. in the sense, not in the sense that most people put it. Yeah. What's interesting here, Julie, many people think that God is up there having assigned a purpose to each of us. But God says to his angels and to, to all the guardian angels, 
let's not tell Julia what her purpose is. Let's <laughs> let's give her a purpose, but let's keep it a secret from her. <laughs> let her try to let her spend 30 or 40 or even 50 years trying to figure it out. <laughs> It'll be fun to watch her be frustrated and resentful because I've given her a purpose, but I won't tell her what it is. <laughs> Guys, God did not give you a purpose and then keep it a secret from you. So purpose is not your purpose in life. It's not something that God gave you in the sense that most people think about it. God has given you the power to create your own purpose. Life is not a process of discovery. Life is a process of creation. So we have the opportunity to decide what our purpose is. And here's what's interesting about that. It's not like, oh, once you make your decision, you've made your bed and you have to lie in it. That's what you have to be for the rest of your life. You can change your mind about your purpose every day if you want, from hour to hour if you want. Purpose is a fluid decision that we can stay with for years or days or minutes or change our mind about in any given moment. So what is your purpose in life right now? It's what you say it is. And if we think of each moment as an opportunity to decide what our purpose is in that moment, life starts to become a grand adventure, a real exciting, truly an exciting process of creation. I could, of course, be wrong about all of that, but I don't think so. When it comes to inspiration, intuition, are they one and the same? Unless they're not, not all intuition, not all intuition is inspiration, and not all inspiration is intuition. So there's no one size fits all answer to that question. When it comes to following this, because what I found in my life is that when you're following that inspiration and intuition, in that you know it's God speaking through to you. It, you know you have these impulses, aha moments that are just pulling you forward in life. And I have learned through trial and error within my life just to run with them, right? Just like when you know God Universe Source is talking to you, giving you a piece of inspiration or asking you to take action. When you run with it, you start to see this magical process of creation happen within your life. And sometimes it just makes me so sad because I have other people within my life who I've known for years upon years, and they have the same calling year after year, day after day, month after month. And I'll get a call every three months or every four months or every other week I really want to do this. I really want to go for this. I encourage and cheerlead and, and want them. Why don't some people take action on those callings of their heart? Again, again, there's no one size fits all answer to that question. Yeah. You know, Julie, there are 8 billion people on the earth and there are 8 billion answers to the question you just asked. Yeah. Everybody, everybody has their own reason. Why? And if I try to generalize and come up with something that fits the largest number of people, it's going to be heard by your audience as an enormous generalization. So I can't really answer the question accurately. Why do people do that? Because there's no one answer that fits everybody. 
everybody has, has their own reasons, their own fears, their own apprehensions, their own inner thoughts about themselves, their own ways of self-sabotaging. Mm -hmm. we, we all have we all have our own stuff going on. But the answer is not so much, I should say the question is not so much why do people behave that way, but what could stop them from behaving that way? The real question is, what could stop us mm -hmm. from self-sabotage? Mm -hmm. And the answer is simply seeing that for whatever reason, that the reasons are different for everybody, that, but seeing that for whatever reason, we continually self-sabotage. And the evidence of that is that we're not achieving what we say we want to achieve. That we say, yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want to do that. Yes, I'm going to do that. And then we never do it. So once we you know, see that pattern, then we say to ourselves, okay, I don't even really, the truth is I don't even really need to know why. You know what? God said something very interesting to me in my conversations with God. She said, Neil, the question is not why with regard to anything. The question is what? That is, what do you choose to do now? Why you did it another way yesterday is really, frankly, irrelevant almost all the time. Maybe once in a while it has some value, but more often than not, knowing why you did something is irrelevant. The question is not why I did something, because if that was an important answer, you would have stopped doing it long ago. But but uh, in fact, the question is, what do you now choose? So if I was, you know, a person who had something that he wanted to do and declared it over and over again, yeah, I want to do that. I really want to do that. I really want to do that. And then never did it. I'd start looking at myself in the mirror and say, OK, what do I want to do? What can I do to move toward that goal and to put that outcome into place in my life as soon as possible? I would look at myself in the mirror and say, I wonder why I don't do it. I wonder why I don't do what I say I want to do. I wouldn't, because it, it's a pointless inquiry. It can only make me wrong. It can only make me feel inadequate, or you know, I'm not going to get any positive feelings out of it. So what's the point of the question? But I would say to myself in the mirror, what do I choose to do to stop this pattern? And what three things can I do now, this day, to move toward the goal that I've set for myself. That's what I would do. Your books often talk and lead people towards opening their consciousness, evolving them upward, awakening them on a very deep level. Is there any way to speed up our awakening on an individual level, speed sure. up the process? How do we oh, do sure. that? Cause another person to speed up their process. You know, God said to me in conversations with God, Neil, Whatever you want to experience in your own life, be the source of that experience in the life of another. Whatever it is, you want to experience more companionship, more humor, more clarity, more wisdom, whatever you want to experience more of in your life, be the cause of another person having the same experience because what flows through you sticks to you. So be the source. Don't be the seeker. God said to me, Neil, I know you think it's all very wonderful to say, I am a seeker. I am a seeker of whatever, wisdom, clarity, understanding. Why don't you decide that I am the source? When you decide to become the source rather than the seeker of what it is that you wish to experience, you create magic. You become actually a sorcerer. I love it. Yeah.
Yeah, you know, and and uh, it's interesting because it works for me almost every time. I, I think of it, a man who came to me years ago. Now it's a long time ago, but he he needed some money. He was he was a close friend. He said, "I hate to ask you this, but I made a big gambling bet on the football game and I lost several hundred dollars and can't make my rent. My not it was a rent mortgage payment. I can't make my mortgage payment. And I don't want them to take my house away from me." I'm afraid to tell my wife. She'll say, what the hell's going on? I don't want to have to tell her that I gambled you know, $800 away on a football game. I shouldn't have done it. I'll never do it again, but I don't want her to even know about it. He said, can you help me? I said, well, the first thing I would say is never lie to your wife. In fact, never lie to, to anyone about anything. But for heaven's sake, don't lie to your life partner. But beyond that, don't do it again. You've agreed you're never going to do that again. My first thought, when he, I'm telling you this story for a reason. My first thought when he came to me was, I don't have $800. I mean, not in fluid cash. I'm not sitting here. With, this was 30 years ago, actually 40 years ago, when $800 was a lot more than it is today. Yeah. It was like almost like, like $3,000. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't I don't have $800 like laying around in my bank accounts. Just to, I could just write you a check or give you some money. And then I thought, and I was going to tell him that. But he said, I'm really desperate. I don't know where to turn. And I thought, well, you know what? I've got some people that I could turn to. And get you know two hundred here, three hundred there. I could call my father and see if he can send me some money. Mm-hmm. I could probably get the money and raise it and give it to him. And when he gives it back to me, I'd give it back to them. I could find a way to manipulate the world. In other words, just to get. So I said to him, without telling him how I was going to do it, I said to him, "You know what? Can you give me like three days? I'll have the money for you in seventy-two hours." He said, "Oh my God, I can't believe it! Oh my God, it's a miracle! It's a miracle!" Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he was all over himself with gratitude. And, you know, we shared a little you know, a little drink and toasted each other our friendship. And he left the house feeling so light. And, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I got to make this happen now. Would you know that the next day I had a call from a person I hadn't talked to in probably six or seven years? This is a true story. That, that seven years ago, I had loaned him some money. It wasn't 800, but it was about three or four or 500 dollars. And he said, you know what I have felt guilty ever since you know I've never I've run into some good fortune and I want to pay you back finally all this money all these day all these years later, I want to pay you back the money you said. I don't want you to think that I was just going to shine it on for the rest of my life. He said, if you'll give me your current address, I'll send you a money order in the mail immediately overnight. I'll overnight it to you. For like five hundred dollars, I'm like now. Now I knew I had two or three hundred in the bank. I just didn't have eight hundred in the bank. So he gave me exactly what I needed to make the difference. So I went, "Whoa! Are you kidding me? Out of the blue?" So now that's a true story. That, that, I'm not making that up. That's exactly what happened in my life. But it taught me something. Oh, I see. What flows through you sticks to you. Mm-hmm. When you choose to be the source rather than the seeker, that which you source to another is sourced to you because what goes around comes around. I could, of course, be wrong about all of that. I don't think so. I don't think you are either. 
One of the questions that I wanted to ask you in our time together today is you've talked about how when you wrote the conversations with God, and if anybody listening hasn't read those yet, you write- Wait a minute. Write, you, mean, you mean there are some people who are listening who haven't read one of my books? Okay. I'm, I'm not out of sure. Here. I, I'm out of here. Thanks. It's been fun being with you. Bye-bye. Oh, I love your comedianism. It's awesome. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, uh, you talk about in your books, like you have, you know, you talking and asking questions and then God answers and then you're asking questions and it just goes back this conversation between you and God. And there are some journalists who, when you first came out with this, you said, we're just this is blasphemy. How could you be saying that, you know, God is talking through you, but you say God talks through all of us. How can some people who might have a hard time with that, accept that more into their hearts? First of all, I hope I don't say that God is talking through me. I hope I say that God is talking to me and there's a difference. And you know, what I share with others is what I have heard and what I hope I understand clearly, and maybe I'm misinterpreting some of it, whatever. But I don't think that I'm that God is speaking through me. You know, that would put me in a whole different position than I have ever declared myself to be in, than I ever want to be in. But now, with regard to if I just change your question around, how can I help other people embrace the notion that it's possible that God is also talking to them? Not through them, but to them. I would invite them to just look if in into their life to see if ever there was a time or a moment when they received an inspiration or sudden idea or had an epiphany of some kind you know, or came upon some sudden expanded awareness, really of anything. It could be anything, how to play, how to how to solve a problem, how to move through a difficult moment, you know, what to say in a in a moment. Let me share with you another example in, in my life, if I can. Many years ago, when I was uh, engaged to a lady, she's ultimately got married and she's since passed on. She's no longer in the living uh, physical form. She's living in her metaphysical, spiritual form. God bless her. We were having dinner at her house. This is year, many years ago. And we weren't living together, even though we were engaged. In those days, we didn't live together because it was called living in sin. <laughs> so so we, we weren't living together, but we she, she invited me over for dinner. So we were enjoying a lovely dinner together. And a knocking at her front door was her sister. And her sister came bursting through the door. She said, I'm sorry to bother you. I didn't realize you had company, but I got I got I can't stand it. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do myself in. I'm, I'm, I'm through. I'm done with this whole thing. I'm going to end my life if I don't have some answers tonight. I can't. She was just going on and on and on. And her sister, my fiance, turned to me with her back to her sister and said, say something, you know, because she didn't know what to say. So I sat, I said, can we just sit down and talk a little bit? Now, this is years before I had my conversation with God. This is four, 50 years ago. We're talking a very long time ago. And so I put her down on the couch. We sat down together. We talked together for about 15 or 20 minutes. I calmed her down just a little bit. Then talked some more. We talked some more. Finally, she just really felt met at some level. And she said, oh, wow, this is really, really, uh, thank you, thank you. She said to her sister, can I go upstairs and use the powder room? My mascara must be running like crazy. And her sister said, of course, sweetheart, go, you know where the bathroom is. So she went upstairs and my fiance turned to me and she said, how did you know what to say to her? 
And I said to my fiance, honey, not only do I not know how I knew what to say to her, I don't even know what I said to her. If you asked me to repeat it, I, I couldn't repeat it. I don't even know what the heck I said to her. I mean, it was so spontaneous, so, so in the moment. But I was very clear that something larger than me was bringing me information that at some level I knew could be helpful if I simply passed it on in the best way that I could. Now, you know what? I've talked to a lot of people in the past 30 years. I've had a lot of individual conversations with people. And most everyone I've talked to has had moments like that when they've been called upon to help somebody else or they've been called upon to show some compassion or some generosity, some level of wisdom, whatever it might be, and where they've come up with something that even they can't pinpoint. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? How in the world did I come up with that idea? And then they realize, oh, I see. There's more going on here than meets the eye. Ah, I see. Or as my friend Bill would say, Bill Bill wrote uh, a play called Hamlet. Some people call him William. We're, we're close friends, so I call him Bill. But as Bill Shakespeare would say, there are more things in heaven and earth for ratio than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. So, you know, I've come to a conclusion. There's more going on here than meets the eye. And what I would say to people is, I would be surprised if you haven't had moments, an epiphany, a brilliant idea, a sudden insight. You and I have both had those kinds of moments. The only difference is, I called it a conversation with God. That's the only difference. Beautiful. That's beautiful. I love in your book, The Essential Path, you say, as you speak, ask, what does God want to say today to the world through me? And it's just such a beautiful question that you put in this book in which I think we can all be angels to one another and just like your story, help and support one another by just asking the universe what needs to be said in any given moment. What wants to be said, yeah. I agree, it's a, it's a very powerful question. I have another way of putting that question that's come to me since I wrote that book. Whenever I find myself in a difficult moment or difficult situation, interacting with another person or with some aspect of life, I will ask myself the following question. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? And I ask myself that question a lot. Whether I'm making a simple decision like what do I want for dinner? How much dessert should I have at the restaurant? A simple decision like, you know, what do I want to watch on TV tonight? Or an important decision like, how do I want to respond to my loved one in this little bit of an unpleasant moment we're having? With? What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? When I ask myself that question, what it has to do with the agenda of my soul is almost immediately made apparent to me. Ah, uh, I see. I see what's going on here. This is an opportunity for me to announce and declare, to express and fulfill, to allow another person to experience who they really are and who I really am. This is an opportunity for us both to step into pure love. In your life, you've written over 35 books and you have channeled through so much. And I'm just wondering, where has God got you today in your life plan and your soul's agenda? 
What do you feel like you're learning right now? Well, I'm not learning anything. Life is not a process of learning. I was told in my conversations with God, we're not here to learn anything. This Life is not a school, in my understanding. Because God didn't send us down here and say, you know, I'd like to tell you what you need to know to make your life work, but I'm, I'm going to keep it a secret from you. Here we go again with that comedy routine that God says, you know, but I hope that you know, before you die, you learn enough to at least have made some little sense of it. Why would God do that? No, 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 God, it's just the opposite. God said, I've sent you down there knowing everything you need to know, all the wisdom and clarity all the awareness and all the understanding lies deep within you in the place that divinity resides. All you need to do is call it forth, or if you want to use a simple word, to remember it. So life is not a process of learning. It's a process of remembering what we already know and what we totally understand. No one has to teach us how to not respond to someone who's being unkind to us in the same way. No one has to teach us how to be a better person. We already know intuitively. We don't always do it. We sometimes respond from our animalistic nature. But when we cause ourselves to remember what we already know, then we literally remember. That is, we become a member once again of the body of God. We re-member and we rejoin that which we really are, like a wave that recedes back into the ocean after it has experienced its individual, beautiful, powerful expression. But it's never separate from the ocean. It's never something other than the ocean. It's simply an individual expression of the ocean. And when the expression is complete, it recedes back into the ocean whence it came. Is there a remembrance that you've been having lately that you're going to put in one of your next books? Yeah, there are two. One is that death does not exist. Death in the sense of my beingness, my beingness ceasing to exist. Who I am will never cease to exist. My body, this physical body may cease to exist. My, even my mind may cease to function but my soul will never cease to exist. And I have come to remember that in really in, uh, really powerful terms. I guess the older I get, the closer to my own departure from this physical body uh, that I get, the more I remember that I'm simply going home. Because I asked, I asked God in my conversation, what is death? Just, just, just give it to me straight, what is death? And she said, Neil, it's really very simple. Death is simply a process of re-identification. It's a change of address. It's, it's just, so that's, that's all that's going on here. So that's a remembrance that has become larger in my experience in the past couple of years. And also, if I do write a, another book, I'm going to call it Unlearning Life. Because what, my, what life has done for me and what it's done for most people that I observe is it's taught us to unlearn what we knew when we were seven years old. You know, when I was seven, I knew that I was wonderful, practically perfect, just the way I was. I also knew that it was wonderful to love everybody and everything. I love dogs. I love cats. I love trees. I love the flowers in the garden. You know, when the flower, when my mom picked the flower and, it, and then it put it on the kitchen table and it died, I would cry because the flower was dying. 
my mother would, would teach me, oh, don't, don't be sad. I knew what was true when I was seven years old. And then life proceeded to unlearn me, <laughs> to make me unlearn what I already knew, to teach me what it thought, what life thought, what our culture thinks is true about it. Who and what I am and why I'm here. What am I doing here on the earth? What's the point of life? So I think now what we have to do is unlearn that. We have to unlearn what we've been taught by life. If, so if I have another remembrance, if I write another book, it'll be called Unlearning Life. I love it. I love it. Neil, in your book, The Essential Path, you talk about how much humanity has to change and we need to be making this change now. What do you want to see most for individuals? How can individuals begin? Your book is is a great start. It's just very, very powerful and packed with information and questions that we can be asking ourselves. But what's most important today for people to be doing? First of all, let's be clear that life does not have to change. People don't have to change. But we have an opportunity to change if we are not pleased with what we are observing life to be bringing all of us right now. But this is not an imperative. We don't have to do that. God does not have any requirements of us. So it's not about what we have to do. So I don't say in my book that life has to change. I say that in my book that, that if we don't enjoy or not appreciating life the way it is, then there are some things that we certainly must do. And the one single thing that I would point to is we are being invited to change our fundamental idea about who we are in relationship to all the rest of life. We have to drop our notion of separation. The idea of separation is what causes us to behave the way we behave with each other. You know, Julie, I, I, I'll tell you that I'm seeing more alienation on our planet these days than I have ever seen in my life. When I was 40 years or 50 years younger than I am now, when I was 25 or 30 years old, I didn't see anywhere near the level of alienation that I am now seeing between different nations, between people of different races, between people of different color skin, between people of different religions, between people of different sexual orientations, between people of different political parties. You know, if you're different from me, you're going to be in trouble. And I don't understand what we're doing to each other. Why are we doing this? We've somehow decided that it's us against them, all of us against all of them. And that's what we are going to be invited, an important invitation to alter in our behavior. If we are unhappy with the world the way we're seeing it right now, we're going to be invited to change our idea that differences have to produce divisions that contrasts have to produce conflict. It's not necessary. It's okay for us to be different. And when we can accommodate each other's differences and give each other the freedom to express who they are in the way that feels natural and normal to them, then we give them the freedom that God gives us. Because this is the way that God loves us. So what we have to do is change our whole idea about God and about who we are. I've proposed in a book called The God Solution that the way to solve humanity's problems is to simply 
proposed a brand new definition of God. What if we what if we define God with two words? Everyone has these long, long definitions of who they think God is. What if we could define God in two words? Simply pure love. Now, somebody, when I say this at a lecture in the back of the room, will say, oh, Neil, Neil, come on. I've been listening to you for 20 minutes to tell me that God is love. Everybody knows God is love. And I have to say, wait a minute, I didn't say that. I said God is pure love. And pure love is the kind of love that needs, requests, requires, hopes for, and demands nothing in return. That's pure love. That means I love you, not because of what I hope I can get from you, but because I see you as totally and completely lovable just the way you are. Whether I get back anything from you or not, we can't even love the person on the pillow next to us that way. Until we can, and when we do, we have discovered who God is and who we really are. Neil, you're such a beautiful soul. Thank you so much for your lifetime of work and service and being a pioneer on a path that has made it easier for the rest of us to come in. Thank you for taking the brunt of the hardship at the beginning when you're bringing this message into the world. I know that you made it easier on so many of us, and I personally am just so grateful. For your work in this world so thank you kindly for being you and thank you kindly for sharing your time with me you're very sweet to say those gentle words to me and i receive that energy uh, with gratitude thank you for saying those kind things and it's been lovely to be here with you thank you for the opportunity neil can we tell everybody too what your website is and where they can find you for more info um they can just go to www.cwgconnect.com CWG, of course, stands for Conversations with God. So CWGConnect.com if you want to stay connected to this message and to this energy. Perfect. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you again, and God bless. You as well. Beautiful soul, thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now, who's connecting with you, and what messages they have for you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a session. You can do a reading with me or a member of my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life. If this sounds like you, virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website. Sign up today. And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn Reiki, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to get clients. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com. 
or DM me on Instagram at Angel Podcast with any questions. Before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hands on your heart. Take a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love is right in front of you. Step into that love and feel it as it fills your body, chakras, and auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you.